welcome to the Advance Your Art podcast, where we talk about the journey from artist to entrepreneur and everything in between. You've worked hard to hone your craft. Now take it to the next level with tips, techniques, strategies, and routines used by successful artists to grow their businesses and careers. Now, let's get started and have some fun with your host, Yuri Cataldo. How are you this evening? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. I appreciate it. Oh, definitely. It's my pleasure. Excellent. I'd like to start by asking how you describe yourself and what you do. I am a a writer in the short of it. You know, some people say an author. But at the same time, I write more than just books. I write blog posts. I write short stories. I write or I used to write a lot of poetry. Um, so a writer is the simplest and most accurate mm-hmm. way to describe me now. Um, but that's that's not where I started. I started as a in the marketing industry, actually, in advertising, but not making the ad units. I was actually on the, the back side, the creepy side, where we figure out the, the target demographics and who we want to buy the products and how to reach them. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did a lot of people studying in order to be able to do that. Um, and then from there, I ended up being the console specialist for um, Activision and a couple of other big game studios before my husband ended up getting a job opportunity in another state Mm -hmm. and I had already been writing on the side in between work or when I was home. And I took that as my sign to, if I want to make this into the career and into something more than just a hobby passion project, this is my sign to do it. So when we moved, I didn't try to continue my professional career when we started his new adventure in a different field and have been writing my young adult fantasy novels ever since, full time. Wow, that's wonderful. And, uh, and it's not common anymore because, you know, people don't buy. Uh, there's so many books out there, and the Kindle versions and the ebooks are just so much more inexpensive than the paperbacks. And if you're not one of the big five publishers, you're a small business, right? So you're not right. making what everyone thinks of when they think of an author, like, oh, J.K. Rowling, she's a billionaire. Everyone must be making that much money if you have a published book. <laughs> um, and that's unfortunately not true for, for most writers and authors. Right, right. Um, so actually, so before we get too much into your writing career, I would like to back up just a little bit yeah. uh, and talk about your, your career in, in communications and marketing. Uh, okay. Particularly, what interested you uh, about studying communications and marketing at USC? So I've always people are always interesting. They're we're fascinating creatures. We all do the same thing, but our motivations for getting to that path are always so different. Mm-hmm. That you know, taking my love of just interpersonal relationships and people watching, I. It always sounds a little bit creepy <laughs> to say that I like studying people, um, but that's 
what it really comes down to when you think of how much of communication isn't actually verbal. It's, you know, nonverbal and watching the cues that everyone, you know, gives when you respond to a question. Um, I always found that interesting, especially as growing up. I have a brother who has um, Asperger's, which means that he has a very hard time processing um, those nonverbal cues and understanding, especially as a child, he, you know, as they get older, um, it gets easier. But as a child, he couldn't understand sarcasm or, you know, when people were joking around or make believe. And so that kind of started me young on trying to figure out, well, why is it so different for him versus me? And so when I got into USC, communication just felt like the natural fit because of my early interest because of my my family situation. Um, and from there, it just felt like one way to really turn that into a career because I didn't want to I didn't want to do PR. I don't like um, that kind of spin or doing that kind of I don't want to call it journalism, but, you know, just yeah. that field in general um, and marketing without making the creative because my my art skills are severely lacking. Um <laughs> It felt like the the natural fit to marry those two and do, you know, the traditional thing to get that nine to five job where I can afford to do and you know buy a house or not live in my parents uh, home for forever. So that's kind of I tried to pick something that was going to make the money I was supposed to earn with a college degree. <laughs> sure. And that that sounds like a very good idea on paper. Um, on paper, it is always a great idea to make money. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, so so you spent a, a number of years, I guess, studying people's behaviors from behind the scenes. What were in doing that? What were some of your favorite books that helped you dive deeper into that? And what were some of the more fascinating things you learned about people in general? Well, I have a couple of craft books that I use now that are actually some of the most helpful things that I use for figuring out people. They're like the emotion thesaurus and the negative trait and positive trait thesaurus. Um, because you think about it, when you're trying to describe someone as being scared, you could look at someone and see that their eyes are darting back and forth or there's a sheen of sweat on their brow or maybe they're chewing on their bottom lip. Mm -hmm. But a lot of times when... Um, writers or artists first start um, work, you know, they're early on in their career, they will say, oh, he was scared. And that doesn't really convey what they're feeling or how they're feeling that feeling um, to be really redundant. So yeah. some of those books have been really fabulous and just kind of going deeper. And so some of the art, uh, the books that I read that do that really well actually <laughs> Right now, it's a graphic novel. Um, have you heard of Saga? No, the graphic, I haven't. Um, it's fabulous. It's kind of this mixture of fantasy and science fiction. So very science fantasy where you have, you know, people with horns that cast magic and people with wings and the conflict that they have. And it's very complex with the, the motivations that people want and that you get into this world where you can see behind the veil of the war. It's not so black and white of, oh, we hate them and they invaded our planet. But why are we still fighting? This was 
centuries almost in the making. And so these two people come together, fall in love. They're trying to have a family and the powers that be don't want people to know that they can get along because then the war would end. And as you know, a lot of people and the world today has shown us that war is a lucrative business. <laughs> so it's very much kind of in that and it gets really dark and really adult. Um, but I kind of like that it, in the format of a graphic novel, it doesn't shy away from those very real and gritty and uncomfortable discussions mm-hmm. um, that are very human, even in a fantasy setting. Yeah. How do you, I'm sorry, can you say the, the title again and please spell it? Saga. S-A-G-A. Okay. It is Saga. Okay. Just make sure I heard that correctly. Excellent. Um, yeah. There's a bunch of them out. I think there's at least eight. <laughs> Oh, cool. Which one is your your favorite? If if I were going to start at one, I mean, should I just start at book one? Yeah, you kind of have to, unfortunately. Otherwise, you're not going to know who the characters are. <laughs> I've only read up through four because I'm trying to pace myself. I run out of bookshelf spa- space really quickly. Okay, sure. Sure. Okay, so, so you've been working then in the advertising space for a number of years and then decided to go into writing full-time uh, mm-hmm. when you and, and your husband moved. Had you been writing on the side up until that point, or what was the moment you decided you wanted to become a writer? So that's a funny story. It was one of those things where it always was just something I did, and it wasn't something I consciously thought about as a career or something that you could just do. Because as a kid, I thought, oh, books just appear. Um, and I just read them and I like them. But in the fourth grade, I actually wrote my first, I I hesitate to call it a novel because I never finished it, but I wrote this first really long story about five sisters who were all princesses. And the youngest one had a dragon named Walter. Um, I don't know what happened to it, but I distinctly remember that being the first time I actively tried to write a novel or at least something that was longer than what most Uh, young kids are writing at that time. Um, But I never really thought about it as something that I want to grow up and be this. Um, But there was always these little signs as I was going through my life where, oh, in sixth grade, I won a a writing contest or um, in my career, my boss would always tell me, you write books, not emails. Um, (laughs) Just these little things until finally I was in a place where I was just kind of bored and I had a lot of free time to think while I was at my my job. And so I was taking notes and thinking of, well, I really like how this piece of fantasy works. But what if I did this instead? And so I started making these notes while at work. And from there, it just sort of dovetailed into writing. Um, so it was a long time coming that I didn't know about until the universe hit me in the head with it. Oh, sure. So what, I guess, why did you choose this particular genre? People always think that fantasy is this way to kind of escape and not deal with the world. But I think in a lot of ways, if you do it right, it can be a way to kind of deal with the world instead of just avoiding it. Mm -hmm. Because you can use fantasy as a way to deal with prejudice or racism. I mean, in his kind of topic for today, Stan Lee passed away. But if you look at the X-Men and what they were able to do with those stories, you know, mutants were treated a lot of like how 
um, the oppressed cultures in America were treated or and are still being treated a lot of times. But in the guise of fantasy, people can digest it without necessarily, you know, feeling preached to. Mm-hmm. Um, which always, unless that's something you want, like you go in wanting to read a nonfiction, then a lot of people kind of shy away from that and they can kind of live in their own little bubble where everything's just, you know, happy, um, meet cute romance. Um, but I really liked that sort of fantasy that was just dealt with very real life problems, but in a way that one made the heroes feel like these total badasses and, you know, you go in there and being like, yeah, she's got anxiety, but damn it, if she's not going to kill everything that's standing in her way and overcome that monster. Um, so you can, even if your monsters are just, you know, depression or anxiety, when a character who is doing amazing things also has those, I feel like it helps a lot of readers feel like, hey, I can be okay, too. Um, so that's why, like, realistic fantasy, even if it has a ton of magic in it, I don't like characters that are just so perfect um, that there's almost no struggle. It's just, you know, the mustache-twirling villain and the, the godly hero are always clashing because he's good and he's bad, and that's just how it goes. Right. Um, I love the gray area, and fantasy does that a lot, with a lot more creativity and freedom than something like a contemporary fiction where you're kind of constricted to what's what is real and what is actually in front of you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So could you discuss maybe your writing process a little bit, uh, what your influences come from, uh, how you, you know, your structure, your, your writing? Cause I know that, you have a series. Uh, yes. I don't want to butcher the title. It's the Monsters <laughs> of is it Sel- Selkirk? Yes, the Monster of Selkirk. Um, okay. So I'm, you know, there's these two kind of different camps that a lot of people think of when they, um, you know, when they start writing. It's like, are you a plotter or a pantser? And plotters are those guys who sit down and they have, you know, everything mapped out ahead of time. Not only have they built the world and the characters, they have step by step gone through every chapter and every scene in terms of what needs to happen and where the characters need to go. Um, and they have all of that outline in front of them. Mm-hmm. And then there's the pantsers who just kind of, as the, the name suggests, fly by the seat of their pants <laughs> and like, you know what, I'm just going to do and go with wherever the characters tell me. And so you get a lot more prose and sort of meandering mm-hmm. with those kind of plot lines. Um, I'm kind of a mix of both, which plants are, I don't know, that sounds terrible. <laughs> um, but you, it's, I world build and character build ahead of time. Okay. So if I have an idea of, oh, this would be an interesting world, how about a, a fantasy world where there's no magic, but the elves are not these nice, regal, Lord of the Rings, um, arrogant elves. They're actually these feral creatures that can look like walking trees and may kidnap and eat people like that's crazy. I like it. Um, that's a cool world. All right. But who would live there besides the, the feral elves? Well, what if there's, you know, 
this one place in Selkirk where because the elves are so crazy, they can't leave their island, and so they're really sheltered. So I do all that world building first. Then I do all the character building of the kind of people who would live there and how that environment would shape them so that they feel like they would only ever belong in this world that I've created. Not, you know, you couldn't just pluck them and put them in any scenario and it'd feel the same. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I figure out how the story needs to end. So I know where the story needs to end up. But from after that point, I don't really outline anymore. I do let the characters kind of drive how they get to that end point. Because sometimes I have one character who is this like kind of sarcastic, um, free-spirited thief. And when she's talking to one of my characters who grew up in a monastery uh, shelter women, they have really interesting conflicts and are really funny together because of just how awkward it ends up. And sometimes they need to go to a weird place because how else would this one character learn about the world? Because he's never lived in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that makes it, in my opinion, and I could be totally wrong from other people's <laughs> opinions. Um, it makes it feel more grounded and that the characters and the situations and the dialogue all come across more naturally because I'm not forcing them to do something for plot purposes. They're fulfilling the end goal in a way that makes sense for the characters I've made and in the world I've set up. Mm-hmm. Ooh, in- interesting. Now, do you, I guess, is this your process for every uh, story and, and uh, process or product you you go into or is it just different depending on you know if you're writing for this particular series versus uh, other things that you write this is how it works best for me when i'm writing fantasy because i do have to make a world with rules because if i do have magic or if i don't have magic i need to clearly define how things work otherwise you end up in these situations where if you do have magic it's like oh shit i run into a plot hole i know magic um (laughs) And I hate that. Right. <laughs> so, but so for my fantasy stuff, I definitely follow this process and it works pretty well for me. And I use Pinterest a ton to, in order to gather ideas and images that make the vibe that I want to go for. So it kind of keeps everything organized. But I have a contemporary fiction that I wrote that's much more in line with things that I've experienced with growing up with a sibling with uh, a mental health disorder and my job and my career in advertising. So for that, I didn't necessarily need to do any world building or character building because I'm drawing so much on things that have happened or I've I've experienced. And so those are just more research where if I want to make sure that I'm portraying someone with Asperger's correctly, I'm doing research on different kind of therapies and how people treated it early on and the differences between ADHD or if my character has alcoholism, I'm making sure that, and I don't, and I'm not an alcoholic, (laughs) I make sure that um, the way that they would behave and how they would go about, you know, either denying it or trying to seek help is something that a lot of people do because of the books and the research and the people I've talked to who do deal with that kind of stuff. So contemporary is just more research focused okay. versus world building focused. Okay. Excellent. How, so I, I've noticed that you're a very avid reader and you even <laughs> post on your, 
on your uh, website what you're currently reading and have read. Uh, yes. How so? Do as a writer, how important is it to be an avid reader, and and how do you make the selection of books to read? Um, I think I think it was Stephen King who said it best. Where if if you don't have the time to read, you're not going to have the time to write. Like if you're not reading, you can't be the kind of writer you want to be because you're living in something that only you have experienced or if you have seen on TV and those stories have already happened. Mm -hmm. Someone has already come up with those stories. But if you're reading someone's book, you're like, Oh, I really like this, but man, I wish the character had done that instead. You know, you sparking all this imagination and these ideas that, can launch you into uncharted territory. So if you're not reading or even just listening to audiobooks, because then, you know, you're essentially still hallucinating while you're driving. Um, but in a, in a safe way, um, your, your mind just works and connects those dots in a lot differently than if you're passively watching a TV show or a movie, even if it's the most amazing piece of cinematography you've ever seen. The way your mind works and how it problem solves is very different from when you're, you know, reading or listening to something than you are when you're just kind of sitting back and letting someone tell you what's going on through the screen. Um, but in terms of making the selection, so I actually, um, because reviews are so vital to the book industry, especially if you're not part of the traditional big five publishing houses who have a lot of reviewers already on on the back burner that get early copies and whatnot for some of their their biggest authors. It's really hard to get reviews, and Amazon has this policy of you know the magic number is like 50 reviews before you start showing up and being more in their newsletters and being supported by Amazon in terms of book sales. Mm-hmm. So for indies, it's really hard to get those reviews. So I have. I don't want to call it a service because it's to me, it feels like karma. It's just good karma. But um, if someone has an uh, independently published book or even a small press published book, the way that, you know, I, I'm with a small press publisher, mm-hmm. they can, they fill out a form on my website and tell me about their book and send me their good reads and Amazon links. And if it's something that I think fits my tastes, um, like I'm not really big into horror or erotica or stuff like that. I don't read um, scripts, you know, movie scripts or, or plays. But if it fits with some of the other stuff that I enjoy reading, thrillers, fantasy, um, interesting twists on uh, like Westerns or something, then they can send me their book as an e-file. So it's you know cheap or free for them. Because, you know, shipping a book can be really expensive, especially if you're international or something. Um, And then I read it when I when it comes up in my queue and I leave them a review. And it's not always going to be a five star review because, you know, honesty is is important. But a lot of times what I'm reading is an indie book because some of them are fantastic. And it's a shame that no one's heard of these authors Um, But sometimes it's just to hopefully get good karma points out there in the universe um, and get more people to know who who I am because I've communicated with them. I've read their books. I've posted it on my blog or on Goodreads. And it's something that people, you know, are interested in reading, reading the review. Um, 
But when it comes to traditionally published, a lot of times I'm, I'm a mood reader. I don't read by season. So when it's Halloween, I'm not trying to find scary stories or, or dark things because it's fall. Um, I like, um, more realistic fantasies or thrillers that have strong female leads. So that's kind of how I, I pick the, the traditionally published books versus the indie books. And I am a little harsher on the traditionally published authors than the indie ones when it comes to reviews because they have an army of people to proofread and to beta read and to edit. So if something is bad, when it gets through all of those eyeballs, it's like, why? Why did this happen? <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, well, so you mentioned that um, that you went through an independent publisher. How did you find your independent publisher? So uh, Devil Dog Press is my publisher, and I actually met the owners of the publisher through my brother-in-law, who was a or is because he's still really close to the author, a big fan of one of their authors, Mark Tufo, and he writes zombie books. So loves his work. And my brother-in-law is um, a producer here in Hollywood. And so they were trying to work out like some thing to maybe get it on uh, a Netflix or a Hulu series. And they filmed a little teaser for it at my brother-in-law's house. And I happened to be there. Um, and I was talking to, to the publisher and all of them about what I do. And it was kind of accidental. I had been... Querying the big traditional publishers and a lot of literary agents and either not hearing back anything or getting rejections, which is just par for the course. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, you know, just from that conversation, they told me, hey, email us uh, 50 pages and we'll let you know. And then they they were sold and I was I was happy and <laughs> I signed the contract. <laughs> That's great. It was very accidental. So I will say that most of this industry is dealing with rejection and then crossing your fingers for a little bit of good luck because, I mean, how often does something like that happen? Yeah, it it does seem very fortuitous. Yeah. Excellent. So in your your own writing then, how do you know – well, how do you know when your piece of writing is finished and how do you deal with writer's block? It's one of those things where it's like, I'm such a perfectionist that it's really hard for me to call something done. Um, so at some point after I've written every new word that I feel like I've gotten to the end that I have pre-planned, I spend like six months revising and editing and sending things to uh, beta readers and getting their feedback to make sure that I'm not just fooling myself and these characters are amazing. Um And once I go through their feedback and all that, then I go back and I rewrite a bunch of stuff. Um, So it takes a really long time for me to feel good about something because I don't have um, this this endless amount of confidence where I think that everything I do is just gold. I'm I'm really feel I have a lot of imposter syndrome where I think that at one someday someone's just going to knock on my door and be like, you lied. You don't belong here. Um, so I spend a lot of time just pouring over it and then changing just sometimes when it gets to the point where I'm just changing words or I'm just deleting an adverb here and there, that's when I say, all right, this is enough tinkering. I can't 
keep changing one word. I'm just stalling from either giving it to my publisher or going back and querying and trying to get a, a different publisher to pick something up. So it takes me a long time to feel like it's done. But when I'm usually just taking out a word here or changing a word there, that's when that's when I think it's over. And when I get writer's block and I get stuck, a lot of times what helps me get out of it is just rereading the stuff I've just finished writing. So I'll go back five, six chapters of the work that I'm working on and reread it and see, usually I get writer's block because there's a hole, like something I've missed or I've written myself into a corner and I don't know how I got there. I don't remember how I got there because it's been such a long stretch of time from point A to point B that going back and rereading helps me see, oh, that's where I got stuck. I need to change that in order for this thing to make sense. And then I'm able to go on because the thing that's actually blocking me is a subconscious, hey, you fucked up, go back and fix it moment. Um, so that's kind of how I get out of writer's block. But if it's just writer's block because I'm exhausted from writing um, a series or 120K draft of something, um, then I... I read most of the day instead of getting back in front of my screen to to force something. I let someone else's imagination spark mine. Mm -hmm. hmm, okay. So you you briefly mentioned a little bit about um, imposter syndrome, and I was wondering if you could go in a little bit about that on how on on where do you think that comes from, and if there are certain things you do to, um, you know push it aside and to keep moving forward in your writing career. Yeah. I mean, I wish I knew where I came from because then I could just tell myself, stop, you know, you know, um, I've, I've always just been a little bit, um, self-conscious for one reason or another, you know, growing up with just being a girl who likes sports and video games. It was always something you got, I got kind of teased for. So, I don't know if maybe that sparked it or not, but a lot of times it's just, I know I'm smart. I have a master's degree. I've, I clearly know what I was doing at my work because I was kept on and given a raise and all that kind of stuff before I left. But it's just something where you wonder, you always feel like you're kind of not, you're the dumbest person in the room versus one of the smartest. Because you always feel like, yes, someone knows more than me. But instead of just acknowledging that, yes, there's always going to be someone who knows more, is better at something, that's just that's just life. It goes into this downward spiral where it's not just that they're better than you. It's that you're a fake. You don't actually know what you're doing. They're going to tell you that we made a mistake. We shouldn't have hired you or we shouldn't have bought this book. This is drivel. Um it's just that vicious little voice in the back of your head that says not that you're it's different than saying, that, oh, you're just not good enough. It's more of you don't belong here. You're not one of us, um, whoever that us is, if it's an artist, a writer or just, you know, being a, you know in a marketing position. It's like you don't belong here. Mm -hmm. um, and so dealing with it a lot is I, I end up talking to people where it's like, hey, I did this thing. Is it good? And it sounds so <laughs> kind of juvenile where it's just like, hey, make me feel better. Please tell me that I don't suck. Um, 
But that's kind of how I deal with it. I need that validation. And whether it comes from just like my husband or my parents, you know, it doesn't have to be someone who's better at something than me. It just needs to be someone to be like, no, 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 you got this. You're fine. You're fine. This is normal. I, but I do need validation and that helps me get past it, which sounds terrible because you shouldn't need something or someone to validate your existence, but it's the quickest way for me to not feel like someone's going to be like, Hey, we caught on to your game. You need to leave now. Um, yeah, but I've actually written a blog post about it because it's acknowledging that it's there and that it's different than just low self-esteem helps me deal with it too, because it isn't just that, you know, Oh, I'm ugly. It's not like that. It's just something that makes you feel that you're, you're not just not good enough. Like this is not for you. Mm-hmm. Does it? Do you see it coming up on every project that you work on, or is it just selective projects at selective times? It's selective projects usually. Like I feel early on when I started the Monster of Selkirk, it was pretty prevalent because I hadn't done it before. So it comes up a lot when I'm venturing into uncharted territory or I'm new at something. Like I remember my first time in the working force outside of internships, my first day on a job, I cried at my desk because they're like, oh my God, they're going to find out that they shouldn't have hired me. But then, you know, months later, a new job down the road, I didn't have that kind of imposter syndrome because past experience was there to tell me what was normal. Um, so for the the first couple of books for The Monster of Selkirk, it was a lot stronger. And then now, because I'm finishing up the series, it's not there as much because I feel like I've not just learned, but that I have fans and I have people who love the series. So that kind of helps negate that voice. But now it pops up a lot when I'm doing short stories or novellas because it's much easier for me to write 60K plus words than it is for me to write something um, that's you know 5,000 words. Mm-hmm. So trying to do that and feeling like, oh, it comes up more there now than it than it did than it does for my my fantasy stuff. Sure. As your writing career has progressed, uh, what have been some investments in yourself and your writing that have uh, paid off the most dividends? You mean in terms of just like moving books or? Yeah, I mean, it could be moving books in how, you know, in, in you know, maybe uh, making you a better writer in general, just whatever you felt like has helped your career the most. Okay. Um, getting craft books, like, you know, the thesauruses that I mentioned have been great because now my characters aren't so like paper cutout staccato, but also um, getting involved early in social media and those kind of platforms in order to build the author platform before something came out. So, you know, the biggest thing that's actually helped me in terms of um, my writing career in moving products sounds so bad, moving books um, and getting the word out that, Hey, I've got a thing that you might find interesting has been Instagram. Um, There's this vibrant, uh, you know, hashtag bookstagram community and like a lot of writers. And I've met some fabulous people on there who are going through the same stuff I'm going through or who have seen my book covers. I'm like, oh, this looks interesting. Um, and getting in on that early has not just helped me find, 
you know, community of like-minded people who I can bounce ideas off of um, to make my writing and my stories stronger, but also help me just get the word out that I have um, the this fantasy series out there because I don't have, you know, the huge marketing budgets from a big publisher. Um, a lot of what I do is my own resources and my own know-how in terms of advertising. So getting that social push has been a little bit harder when it just comes to finding people who kind of know what this is like. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that's really helped in both just getting the awareness out there and also finding people who I can say, Hey, does this sound like a stupid idea and and have them be like, yes, but you could do that and it would be great. Um, And that's been really helpful too. Yeah. I'm so I'm curious then, um, since you you've mentioned I guess moving books slightly, mm-hmm. uh, because your background was so well in the communication and, and advertising space where you have you know learned about people's buying behaviors and what makes them tick, does that influence how you write your books or how you market and sell your books? Not so much how I write unless I'm doing a contemporary fiction and then it's like someone's job um, because I can write that more realistically because I've been in those kind of office situations. But when it comes to posting things on Facebook or trying to do promoted posts on Instagram or newsletters, it has helped in terms of making uh, targets so people who are interested in like Brandon Sanderson or Sarah J Mass type books, mm-hmm. then I can build those kind of target audiences and make sure that when I'm spending my own money on these platforms where there's so many people that where you you can just get lost if you're not being targeted, it helps me there um, so that I don't I don't waste money, which unfortunately is really easy to do on on Facebook when you have. You know, if you have your branded page, you may get a ton of followers because your family and friends have liked your page and they've gotten others to like your page. But with Facebook having changed their policies on how these, um, you know, these pages that are not people and how those posts are shown, it's de-emphasized a lot of that content in favor for, you know, your niece and nephew pictures and stuff like that, which is what Facebook was originally. But it means that if I want all of my followers to see a post, I have to pay to do it. And I don't always want to do that. So if I'm going to put money into it, it's going to be a much bigger endeavor because otherwise it's just throwing money into a black hole. And thankfully, my communication in my previous career has helped me figure out who to talk to based on shared interests versus just a blanket demographic of, oh, I think women will like my book more. They may not. It might just be based on like, oh my gosh, Brandon Sanderson readers are, I'm making this up, or 80% guys, but it's the same sort of book as mine. So I should still be talking to them, even though my main character is uh, is a girl. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So if, if some a listener listening to this podcast is, also debating whether or not to to go into a writing career what would you 
what advice would you give them on just starting off on things they should do or books they should read or things they should ju or just practice? Um, you can't get better at something without doing it. And unfortunately, writing is one of those things that you can read every single book there is about how to publish a book, how to write a book, because there are a ton out there. Um, but if you don't start writing, all of that research isn't going to matter. So I would say start if you have an idea for a story, start writing that first. And then once you feel like, huh, either I'm stuck or this is awesome. Don't do anything with it yet. Don't say like, I am done and throw it out the door. <laughs> That's when you should go back and start reading. All right. Well, what's the next step? How do I make this better? Is there a way to make it better? Um, and you know, there's save the cat, which is they, uh, it's for screenwriters, but there's some really good tips in it for writing books. Uh, and then those thesauruses and how to publish and what's the best way to publish because you can try traditional or maybe self-publishing is the best route for you. But writing is almost the easier part if you've got a story to tell. It's everything after <laughs> is where things can fall apart if you're not treating your potential reader with respect. If you're not, you know, if you People are really smart. And if you try to talk down to them or you're not putting the work in to make something good by getting an editor, if you think that, oh, well, I took English in college, I don't need an editor. That is false. You need an editor. Um, and it costs money. So being able to have the resources is tough. But if it's if it's something you want to do, it's worth it to do it right. Otherwise, you're going to get pigeonholed into a place where people don't expect greatness from you. And it's something that you, everyone is capable of if they have these stories to tell. So to be patient and to take your time. And if you think something's done, it's usually not the first time around. Mm -hmm. um, so put it away for a month or two, don't look at it, don't reread anything, come back to it with fresh eyes, and you'd be surprised at what you've missed. You may have accidentally, because you can spell the, a word correctly and still have it be wrong, and your, you know, your word document isn't going to catch it. Right. But if you've been spending so much time looking at it, you won't either. But if you put it away and then come back to it later, you're more likely to see those things. Um, so doing something like that and getting other eyeballs on it. So it, it could even be your family, but other people who read in the genre that you're trying to write in, who are fans of that genre. So they don't necessarily have to be a professional editor, but just someone who really loves to read the stuff that you're writing. And they can tell you, hey, your character, I'm not connecting with them, or this part is amazing. I want more of that. And you can kind of figure out if you're going down the right path or not. But if you try to do it all by yourself in a little cubbyhole where you're just listening to yourself talk of, you know, think that it's all, oh, this is perfect. This is perfect. You may get a rude awakening and there's ways to avoid that and then put out a better product to where you're more likely to get a literary agent. Or when you do self-publish, it's going to it's going to be one of those success stories where people are like, oh, my God, he self-published. This is amazing. Or it's like, oh, I can see why they self-published. You don't. There's ways to avoid doing that as simple as just having someone else read it before 
you decide you want to start putting that work out there. Yeah. So in, in everything that you've done so far, what would you say has been the best advice you've ever received? To be patient. Um, it's one of those, this industry is full of rejection. It's full of um, people telling you that you need to work on some stuff. Um, but that's not meant to discourage you. It's just meant to be, all right, I need to go back and fix something or I need to take my time or wait for the right opportunity or the right deal to come along. So to be patient was always the best advice I got because you treat this like a marathon rather than a sprint the way most people go into it. It's like it's a sprint to the finish line, but really it's a marathon. It's going to take a while and to be patient just because you get 40 rejections or just because it takes a year or two years to write something doesn't mean that it's bad. It just means that it took two years to do it Um, and to not give up. So just be patient. If you have a story to tell, it is worth telling. So be patient with telling your story. Mm -hmm. That's great advice. Thank you. So Chelsea, again, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. I really appreciate it. If the listeners would like to read more of your writing and see more of your work, where is the best place they can go to do that? Probably my website because it links out to my Amazon and my Goodreads and my Instagram. Um, It's ceclayton.com because I do go by my pen name. It's easier to search for than trying to spell out my first name. Um, but yeah, ceclayton.com would be the best way to find my blogs, my book reviews, my Amazon page. It's all there. Perfect. And I will put that in the show notes so they can also click right through. Oh, perfect. Awesome. Again, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. No, thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Advance Your Art Podcast. If you like this episode, please go into iTunes and give us a five-star rating. And while you're there, hit the subscribe button so that every single time I release a new episode, it will go directly to you without even thinking about it. If you're interested in hearing older episodes, please go to AdvanceYourArt.com where you can find the catalog of everything I've done so far, as well as contact information and projects I'm working on. Thank you again, and have a great day.